Comey was spying on Trump. Well, the reason he was writing the memos was to create a record so that he could destroy No Trump. American knowingly colluded with the Russians to interfere in our election campaigns. Oh wait, unless you mean Hillary Clinton. Pardons, prosecutions, and transparency. You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW TalkNet. Hey, everyone. Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update on social media. Thanks for joining us this week. Judicial Watch is, is doing more than ever on behalf of you, the American people, as we seek to hold government officials accountable to the rule of law. A lot to talk about this week. Uh, new legal developments in the lawsuit against Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. New Fauci documents are out there. We have new lawsuits over using your tax dollars to traffic in the fetal parts of aborted human beings, something that is so outrageous, it's beyond comprehension. Plus, we have new COVID documents from the state of Michigan that are going to, I think, infuriate you. And when you see how they were trying to manipulate you, you get using your tax dollars. First up, though, is the big news about these emails that have come out related to Dr. Fauci and the Wuhan Institute of Virology, the Chinese communist-controlled entity that many think, or some think, or many experts now think, was is tied to the COVID pandemic. Now, you may recall you weren't allowed to think that last year, but now you are allowed to think that because the media, for whatever dishonest reason, has decided it's okay to ask questions about it. And the government has finally released documents that we have been suing for and asking for for over a year to other media entities, confirming Dr. Fauci had some concerns early on about the Wuhan Institute of Virology's involvement, potentially in the release of the COVID strain that has caused so much discombobulation and death across the world. The government of the United States funded the Wuhan Institute of Virology indirectly through a company called the EcoHealth Alliance. Now, uh, the big controversy has been whether that funding or similar type of funding from other government agencies, such as the State Department, U.S. Agency for International Development, uh, was directed at what is called gain-of-function research. Gain-of-function research, for those of you who haven't been following it, and I don't pretend to be an epidemiologist or virologist or a scientist, but I am, I do have a brain, and I know you have a brain too, and we're allowed to analyze this material despite what the big liberal media says. Uh, but gain of function research is, is, is essentially uh, making a virus more transmissible to humans or turning a virus that isn't transmissible to human, human beings into something that is, presumably with the hope of finding a vaccine and being acting in a kind of a defensive and proactive way to be prepared if such a virus mutates and becomes transmissible to human beings and causes a threat. Now, one can see the military use of that type of activity or the danger necessarily of that type of activity in the sense of you mutate the virus, you haven't figured out a vaccine and the virus somehow gets out. And that's the concern about what happened in Wuhan. And anyone who asked questions about it was attacked. Anyone who asked questions about Fauci's role in it was attacked. I know specifically I was attacked by the New York Times, the Washington Post, USA Today, and the rest of the big media for daring to even question Dr. Fauci's judgment. 
And uh, Judicial Watch filed a lawsuit on behalf of the Daily Caller News Foundation asking for just a few months worth of documents about Fauci's and his top deputies' communications concerning WHO, World Health Organization, which was criticized rightly as being a China front, and uh, China. And of course, they stalled and delayed the uh, turning over those documents to us. Initially, they wanted to hold the documents off until after the election, until after the election. And the court said, no, you got to start producing them sooner. And one of the reasons the government used to try to prevent us from getting the documents in a timely way, and the excuse they're using to slow roll the release of records, because they're only turning over a few hundred pages a month, is that Dr. Fauci might have to review them all. One of the reasons the government told us they needed all this time and they could only review a few hundred pages a month uh, is because Dr. Fauci might have to review all of them. So one of the reasons we're not getting the documents in a timely way is because Fauci is personally involved in the review of the documents. And I've been doing this work, as I say, for two decades nearly, and I'm not aware of that ever happening before. And so it's no surprise that a year later and a federal lawsuit later, we're finally getting documents, or at least this other group is. Now, we've gotten a group of Wuhan Institute documents that I'll be talking about with you next week. I'm also talking about uh, them on uh, Tucker Carlson tonight, so be sure to turn in. Uh, But it just further confirms the following, that uh, the Wuhan Institute was getting money, and we all know about that. Uh, It also, uh, at least the documents that have been previously released to the Washington Post and BuzzFeed News, uh, they confirm that Fauci himself was nervous about it. He urgently sent an email about uh, gain-of-function research to one of his colleagues. Uh, He got an initial email from someone who later concluded it wasn't a lab leak. Not sure what the basis for that conclusion was, since the Chinese weren't giving out any information. Uh, suggesting uh, early on that the virus had uh, looked looked like it could have been engineered, meaning gain of function. So all this information is finally coming out, and it's taking a year, forever and a day, practically speaking. And now Fauci himself is, you know, he's a political, uh, a master politician, uh, and he's now calling on China to release the medical records of people who were likely sickened with, or seemed to have been sickened with a COVID-like illness back in 2019 and even years before then. So isn't it convenient now he's already, he's on the side of uh, pushing for more transparency from China, when in fact, according to the documents that we uncovered, despite his stonewalling, his agency's stonewalling, that they agreed to let China dictate the confidentiality terms of one of the top officials at his agency. And also uh, early on, they went at one of the WHO agencies uh, put out a press release. They wanted all the countries to sign on, the the country's public health officials. And the documents show that they were specifically engineering the release to praise China. And Fauci signed on to that. So they went out of their way to praise China. They let China dictate the confidentiality or restrictions on what American government officials could say about the COVID investigation. And we also know that the Wuhan Institute received money both directly and indirectly from the U.S. government. 
And the only question is, what type of research Wuhan was in, involved in? It's pretty clear it was gain-of-function research, but whether tax dollars were used for that, or more importantly, why is it we were providing tax dollars at all to the Wuhan Institute, given its likely ties to the Communist Chinese Party? So Judicial Watch has been front and center in fighting for this information since the beginning. And now we're seeing the fruits of our heavy lifting with records being released that are causing everyone to, to kind of, even, even those who hate Trump, to admit that it was right, that he was right to be concerned about the Wuhan Institute and the government documents that he probably had access to or the information he had access to is showing that, um, that there was a cover-up. And the Vanity Fair has a piece. We haven't gotten these documents from the State Department yet. That the State Department was, you had one official in the State Department telling others, don't go looking at Wuhan or, or, or figuring out the China connection, because that would open a can of worms. So there was this deep state cover up about the Wuhan Institute and the China connections to the virus that uh, has resulted in a in what I call, in part, this is all part of this, the Great Suppression, where American citizens have been censored, public health experts have been censored, scientists have been censored for talking about COVID, about its origins, about its treatment options, about the response uh, and reaction by public health authorities and politicians in terms of restricting liberties. We've all been censored. And now we know a good part of that censorship was to the benefit of the communist Chinese and to the benefit of the deep staters like Fauci, who didn't want, who was so nervous about, he was sending these urgent emails around. He was so nervous about it while publicly telling the rest of us there was no there there when it came to the, uh, the, the origins of the COVID virus being anything other than natural. So Judicial Watch will be having more documents to come out. We have more lawsuits coming. We have many FOIA lawsuits pending, a FOIA request pending, I should say. And uh, I tell you, you can never rely on the government's straightforward statements. Well, statements, they're never really straightforward, right? Statements about public policy issues. You always got to try to get the documents. And these documents show you can't trust Fauci any more than you could trust Comey, any more than you could trust John Brennan. This is, this is what we're dealing with here in Washington. These agencies are institutionally corrupted and uh, the heads of the agencies are more concerned about their institution or their personal liabilities in many ways than the public good and the public health and lives. Because it was gonna be difficult enough to figure out what went on in China given China's refusal to cooperate and its likely destruction of records and probably uh, making people disappear. But now it's a year later. How are we going to figure out what went on now? So we a lot of lost ground to make up. Even the Biden administration is pushing for more answers. That's how extreme it is. So you can imagine just how bad the truth really is. The Biden administration is beginning to make noises about trying to get the information. And when it came to COVID, it wasn't just here in D.C. that we have to worry about. It's what the states were doing, because when it came down to lockdowns and restrictions on your liberty and restrictions on schooling, 
that was all state-based decision-making. I mean, the federal government couldn't do all of that. They could make recommendations and advice that was ever-changing, as we've all talked about. But ultimately, it was the governors and the state legislatures that were responsible for what was going on. And in Michigan, especially, that governor there was an extremist when it came to COVID lockdowns, an extremist, way out there in terms of um, uh, restricting freedoms and such, while refusing to follow the rules she was demanding others follow. And one of the issues was her top health director, who had been a big pusher, a big uh, pusher of these COVID lockdowns, eventually left. And some thought that maybe she, he was um, uh, uh, unhappy with or had changed his views on the lockdowns and such. And uh, it turns out there was this major severance agreement that was given to him, which is unusual because he's a public official. And Judicial Watch has asked for records about the severance agreement <coughs> and um, other emails related to the vaccines, the masks, school closures, the sorts of things you would want to know about in terms of what the Michigan officials were doing. And we got records from the Department of Health and Human Services for the state of Michigan. So we can't just do FOIAs of the U.S. government. We have to do the FOIAs of the states because the states were where a lot of the bad things were happening. We were able to get the um, severance agreement that had been talked about, but evidently no one had seen. And it looked like they were using tax dollars, and it's all fungible, so it's either state tax dollars or federal tax dollars, to buy the silence of this departing government official. The uh, document says, in the interest of protecting deliberations among government officials, the parties agree to maintain confidentiality regarding employees' departure from employment unless required by law to release such information. And uh, so the uh, deal was, we won't talk about you if you don't talk about us, and here's $155,000. I mean, it does not strike you as something that's not appropriate for public officials to be engaged in. I mean, a severance agreement, in my view, for public officials should be straightforward. But the idea that unless there's information that is uh, strictly prohibited under law from being released, the idea that you would muzzle a public official is not appropriate. So, uh, the uh, other documents that we've uncovered uh, show why we were interested in this gentleman. His name was... Mr. Gordon, his first name is Robert Gordon. He was a former director, as I said, for the Health and Human Services Department in the state of Michigan. And he talks about outdoor masks in June of 2020. And he writes, so all this depressing Detroit news clip now, Governor Newsom last week issued an order requiring masks in public spaces, indoor and outdoor. We have not done the outdoor piece. Wonder if we should. Governor Newsom, obviously, is the governor of California. As best I can tell, experts are still unclear on level of outdoor transmission and lack of spike in heavy protest areas gives hope. On the other hand, the protesters largely did wear masks and recent evidence on masks overall is strong. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but we can debate that. Message would not be that we want to stop reopening but rather we want to sustain it versus the scary turn in other states. Realize we will run into the freedom crowd, and he puts freedom in quotes, but we could even make this order without penalties. So that shows you kind of my view, the contempt that public officials have for people who believe in liberty. 
any debate about mask wearing has to be a debate about liberty too, versus the alleged public health interests in mandating masks. And they were using your tax dollars, again in Michigan, if you're a Michiganer, your tax dollars directly, and if you're a federal taxpayer, probably your taxpayers too, to work with the McKinsey Group and others to uh, survey and try to figure out where people were en masse. They had a special survey done talking about significant reluctance toward COVID-19 vaccine adoption, attitudes towards the COVID-19 vaccine vary widely by demographic group, with men saying they are very likely to get the vaccine rather than women. Age is a key factor in how likely someone is allowed someone to get the vaccine. And there are striking differences in vaccine adoption by race. And the records show that the Gordon was in contact with Dr. Uh, Zeke Emanuel, who's a bioethicist, who's a political actor. He's a doctor, but, you know, more a politician, in my view, than a doctor. Uh, he worked in the Obama administration. Uh, he's also working, um, he helped Biden with his uh, transition. And he had a company he was involved in called Applecart that uses behavioral economic techniques to get people to vote and to do other socially positive things. And he was pushing that company with Gordon, and it turns out Applecart eventually was hired. I don't know exactly how much, because we don't have the information in this batch of documents, but they used this company, again, to manage public opinion. And secondly, you have uh, Frank Lutz, who has been in the news recently, because I guess Tucker has been, Tucker Carlson's been going after him a bit. And Frank Luntz does these words that work. He has this a technique and he does focus groups and things like this. And people criticize whether he's a, his surveys are, are scientifically, <laughs> I know that's a term of art. Uh, it's, it's not even a term that's appropriate in my way, in many ways for polling, but whether the, his polling and survey techniques are rigorous. And uh, he starts talking and providing advice to, um, Words to, to Michigan for wordsmithing, words to lose and words that work. Use protocols and lose orders and decrees. Use social distancing and lose physical distancing. Another lens recommendation is to call it the pandemic. Based on his surveys, that pandemic is more significant, serious, and scary than an alternative COVID-19 and the coronavirus. So this, to me, all of these documents, and we have all of this here, on our website at judicialwatch.org. All of these documents show uh, really a, uh, a ugly and cynical approach by Michigan state officials to COVID. They were using tax dollars to buy secrecy and manipulate public opinion. I mean, so when you're hearing words out of public government officials, and there's nothing wrong with government officials thinking about what they're saying and saying, well, what should we say? <clears throat> but on public health matters, to kind of use words to purposely scare people, that's not appropriate. And you're being manipulated. And it doesn't mean the public officials are proposing the wrong policy. It just means buyer beware. And as a citizen, you should be vigilant when government officials to tell you 
things and try to describe situations, especially with regard to the pandemic, that we now know, at least in Michigan, was used as a word to try to scare you. So uh, I suspect we'll have more documents coming out about the Michigan issue, uh, but we have other states that we're looking at as well. There's been tremendous lack of interest by the corrupted leftist media in how the states were destroying the economies with the lockdowns, destroying children with the schools, and things like that. And so Judicial Watch is trying to step into the gap and figure out what was going on behind the scenes. And what was going on behind the scenes was pretty ugly, as you can see from the documents that we've uncovered here. Uh, the, uh, we were busy this week. I tell you, we were so busy this week. Uh, Judicial Watch, uh, I told you about last week how we sued uh, last week on behalf of a white um, Daily Caller news reporter, uh, Thomas Katanachi. He works for the Daily Caller News Foundation. He started uh, an interview with the Chicago mayor, Lori Lightfoot. And Lori Lightfoot had said that she was only going to give interviews um, to um, minority reporters and not white reporters. And so uh, this, this reporter, Thomas, was denied a request. He asked three times. He didn't get an answer. So we sued in federal court a civil rights lawsuit, First Amendment, um, and other violations of his rights. Government officials can't violate uh, the law in, in, in the civil rights context in terms of telling a reporter they can't get an interview based on their race. So we're in federal court right now on behalf of Thomas and his, uh, his friends at the Daily Caller News Foundation, our friends too. And so we filed the lawsuit. And last week, we um, kind of picked up the pace and filed a motion for a preliminary injunction, which essentially seeks immediate relief. And in the motion, we describe this, and this is something to give you some background. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot is only granting interviews to journalists of color, quote unquote, to mark the two-year anniversary of her, of her inauguration. Plaintiff Thomas Catanacci, a white journalist for the Daily Caller News Foundation, requested an interview of Mayor Lightfoot on her two-year anniversary. To date, almost two weeks after plaintiff's request, and despite two follow-up emails, Mayor Lightfoot has not agreed to interview with Katanachi, and apparently due to the mayor's journalists of color only interview policy. The mayor's refusal to be interviewed by Katanachi interview violates plaintiff's First Amendment rights and his right to equal protection. Plaintiff's move for a preliminary injunction to prevent further irreparable harm. Again, she told reporters she would only grant one-on-one -on -one interviews only to black or brown journalists. I'd like to know, for instance, if we get to this point, how do you figure out if a journalist is black or brown? Is there is there is there a, a some sort of proof you demand? Do you go by looks along alone? If someone is partially black or partially Hispanic, do they get to go in? How how how's that racial? bean counting to be done by this mayor. What an outrage, isn't it? In your face racism. In your face racism. There's no excuse for racial discrimination. This is our client. Every day that goes by without the mayor granting my interview request because of my race violates my rights and tramples on the First Amendment. 
And Neil Patel, who runs the Daily Caller News Foundation, who's their president, it's bonkers we had to file this lawsuit. Chicago's mayor should not be discriminating against journalists based on their color. That's something that every normal American understands. And as I point out, immediate court action is necessary, and Mayor Lightfoot is not above the law. So the court announced today, today I'm recording this on Friday, uh, that he's going to have a hearing on, I say he, it could be a female judge, I I forget the judge's uh, name. Uh, There'll be a hearing on Monday on our motion for preliminary injunction. So we may have news as soon as Monday about whether this uh, racism is going to go by uh, without any court intervention to stop it from happening. So that's uh, what Judicial Watch has been busy with this week. It's uh, it shows you I mean, we're we're doing work on coronavirus, election integrity. I'll talk about that next. Uh, every topic under the sun, practically speaking, immigration, everything. I mean, Judicial Watch is the nation's largest and most effective government watchdog group, and there's a lot to watch. And we've received uh, some great news this week in a case that we were pursuing in Illinois to get access for clients to the voter registration records. We had sued on behalf of the Illinois Conservative Union and three of its officers and citizens after Illinois state officials refused to allow them to obtain a copy of the state's voter registration database, despite their federal, their lawful requests under federal law, the National Voter Registration Act requires the states to take reasonable efforts to clean up their roles, and it also requires access to records about that effort. And it makes sense, and and the law is, and as it's been applied, how do you find out if they're taking reasonable steps to clean up the rolls if you can't look at the voter rolls. So the state officials said, if you want to look at the voter rolls, by the way, state Illinois currently has 8 million people on its rolls. They told our clients to go down to Springfield, Illinois, which I think is 200 miles from their homes. And um, during, during business hours, normal business hours at the State Board of Elections office in Springfield, uh, they could sit at a computer terminal and look at the records one at a time. So we sued. I said, you know, this is just ridiculous. And it shows to me that they have something to hide, don't you think? So we argued that Illinois' arbitrary restrictions make a mockery of federal law as much as a requirement that plan uh, as much as a requirement that plaintiffs wear blindfolds. So good for our lawyers for making that point. So uh, Judge Sarah E. L. Ellis, who is a United States District Court, ruled the plaintiffs have plausibly alleged that Illinois' law conflicts with and frustrates the NVRA's purpose, purpose of providing voter information to the public to help ensure the accuracy and currency of voter registration rolls. And she also author, authorized other claims to proceed. So the case was uh, at the position where the defendants, the Illinois officials, were trying to throw it out. Now the case gets to proceed, and I'm hoping that uh, the Illinois voters and uh, citizens will uh, finally get a chance to review the records. You know, Illinois' stubborn and unlawful refusal to make them available suggests the state knows that the voter rolls are a mess, don't you think? So I'm hoping they see the writing on the wall and just turn over the documents, but we'll see. So the fight, we live to fight another day, but this was a significant hurdle. 
the state was saying, oh, the law doesn't really apply here. And, oh, if you want to look at them, you can look at them one at a time in a way that you would never really be able to look at them effectively. And the court said, you know, you've got to, you've got to answer for this in court. So this is a big victory. And Judicial Watch, for those of you who have been following, is a national leader for cleaner elections. As I've been saying, dirty election rules can mean dirty elections. The rules aren't clean. That's one of the reasons the law requires states to take reasonable steps to clean up the rolls, which is to um, ensure that people can have confidence in the system, the rolls are clean, and that only registered and eligible uh, or eligible voters are registered and, and likely to vote. And Judicial Watch has uh, been uh, the leader in using this law to uh, challenge states who aren't cleaning up the rolls, often successfully so. In uh, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Colorado, we just sued in 2020 to clean up the rolls there. Those cases are proceeding. In 2018, the Supreme Court upheld a judicial watch settlement with the court state of uh, the state of Ohio uh, that got a process in place to clean up their rolls there. The left went ballistic. Why would the left oppose taking reasonable steps to clean up the rolls? I think you know the answer to that, don't you? And of course, the big news was that in California, we had settled a case that required L.A. County to commit to, to uh, removing up to 1.6 million extra names from their rolls. So the voting rolls across the land are a mess and judicial watchers in court trying to clean them up. And so we had some success in Illinois. I mean, we don't know what's happening in Illinois and our clients don't unless they get access to the records. So uh, this, is a, this is a nice victory, and that, that case is going to proceed in addition to our other three federal lawsuits to clean up the rolls in Pennsylvania, North Carolina, and Colorado. So just great stuff. Bob Popper is director of our election integrity uh, initiative uh, activities. Uh, he's a former Justice Department official, uh, and uh, we've got a great team out there in, in Illinois that's helping us, and I will give them credit. And for the, the, um, the lawyers, uh, Stephen F. Bolton and Anthony J. Uh, Parasia, uh, and associates out there in Chicago, Illinois, who helped us with this case. So, and of course, I want to thank you because we're only able to litigate because of your support. And if you want cleaner election rolls, if you want someone standing for election integrity, we were in Congress just the other day testifying against a Pelosi power grab that would effectively, if passed, outlaw every voter ID in the land, every voter ID law in the land. We defend voter ID in court. We demand accountability. We try to stop misconduct. There was a California, one of the mail ballots to lists that were likely full of dead people. We stopped that from happening. Judicial Watch has been front and center for years on voter integrity. And for that reason, we've been attacked by the left repeatedly. And are literally fighting the left in some of these cases I've been telling you about. The Soros-funded left and all of that. The partisan left. They're all coming into court to oppose us. So it's Judicial Watch versus the world on some of these voter integrity cases. What else are we doing? So Judicial Watch, yeah, I, as, I, as I've been saying, I've been doing this work forever and a day. 
And and I probably reviewed hundreds of thousands of Freedom of, Freedom of Information Act documents by now. And I've never seen any documents as horrifying as the documents related to our cases and, and lawsuits and investigations about um, the use of federal tax dollars to purchase the fetal remains, the organs of aborted babies, aborted unborn human beings for humanized mice testing. And uh, I mean, do I need to say anything else than the show to kind of describe the horror? I mean, we see we saw documents about demanding that the organs be fresh and never frozen. You see receipts, credit card receipts for thymuses and livers. We have other documents coming out showing skulls and uh, everything being sold. Some of the worst stuff you'll ever see. And one of the folks who uncovered this whole process uh, was um, or is uh, the group known as the Center for Medical Progress. So the group was run by a great young man, David Delighton, who was the founder and executive director. And uh, he is asked also for documents and we're representing him now in two lawsuits against the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services for records about, um, this is just, this is all you need to know. The FOIA request asked for grant applications related to two separate brain and tissue repositories. The second lawsuit was filed after he uh, couldn't get answers to a FOIA request about um, uh, applications for University of Pittsburgh, uh, grant applications for University of Pittsburgh Tissue Hub and Collection Site, a mouse and human kidney development project that utilizes human tissue and, and a, molecular, a molecular mapping project that uses human tissue to map cell types along the urethra. Both requests identified each grant application by project name or by project number, included both the name of the project investigator and a hyperlink to the location on NIH's website where an abstract of the project could be found. So <laughs> he basically told them, here's the material, give me more information, and they still wouldn't give it to him. So I've told you about this horrific barbaric practice and this is what David said about it. The full truth about barbaric government-sponsored experiments on aborted children is yet to be revealed to the American people who have been forced to subsidize it. When the facts are uncovered, federal courts are recognizing there is reasonable question to the question. There's re, there is a, there is reason to question the lawfulness of the transactions where aborted baby body parts are traded like widgets on our, on an assembly line. I'm proud to stand with Judicial Watch in seeking transparency and accountability for the taxpayer-funded trafficking of aborted fetuses. And what he's referencing there is the court in our case who found uh, that, uh, as, I, as he said, there's reason to question whether the transactions violate federal law barring the sale of fetal organs. Now, the Trump administration had put a moratorium on all of that. And I think they had insisted that if they're going to be doing any of it, that there be a careful vetting process well, that's all been lifted by Joe Biden. So the spigot's been turned off, turned back on, excuse me, for your tax dollars to be used to uh, sell fetal organs, human beings, the organs of dead, bay, uh, dead unborn children, to test biologic drug, 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 the biologic drug products, creating humanized mice, 
and other important things like that. So abortion's bad enough, don't you think? Do you think your tax dollars should be used to cull the organs from the dead human beings that are the product of abortion? For Frankenstein-like scientific experiments? I don't. So I'm proud to represent, we already have a lawsuit for some documents about this. I'm proud that Judicial Watch is representing David on this issue. Because David's been viciously attacked and targeted and prosecuted by the left for exposing this. So as we get documents, I'll tell you more about them. We have, as I said, more documents about to come out. So boy, was that that's quite the update I'm giving you, isn't it? I tell you, Judicial Watch is doing more than anyone else to uncover what the government's up to. We stand for the rule of law. We go to court. We don't take no for an answer. The press and media want to ignore things. Congress doesn't want to do its job. The federal government wants to hide information from us. State governments want to hide information from us. They think they can break the law. And Judicial Watch does what it can do to go into court, to stand for the rule of law, to educate the American people about what the government's up to. In my view, uh, the country would be a lot less off, worse off without Judicial Watch, defending our Republican form of government and advocating for the rule of law and our constitution. And as I said, we do it with your support and I encourage you, if you aren't already, to support Judicial Watch directly with your most generous contribution. And if you're already supporting Judicial Watch, you should send us another contribution as well because we got a lot more work to do. So thank you, have a great weekend, and I have a big report for you next week. As I said, a lot more documents coming out. Thank you for joining us on this week's Judicial Watch Weekly Update. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's Weekly Update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.